Hello, fellow educators. Welcome to episode 23 of the West Virginia Leaders of Literacy podcast. I'm your host, Becky Lewis, and joining me today is my colleague, Christy Schwartz. Christy and I are going to be discussing student acceleration. Welcome to the West Virginia Leaders of Literacy podcast, where we engage in educational conversations to strengthen early literacy in West Virginia. Are you ready to become a leader of literacy? Hello, fellow listeners. Thank you for tuning in today. I am so excited to be welcoming back to the show my colleague and fellow early literacy specialist, Christy Schwartz. Christy, I really just want to thank you so much for co-hosting with me this month. Thanks, Becky. It's my pleasure to be here, and I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Educators across the state are continuing to face many challenges surrounding the impacts that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on education. And I think one of the biggest challenges that they're facing is addressing unfinished learning that occurred as a result of the school closures in the spring, while also trying to ensure that their students are mastering current grade level skills and standards. So when we think about these two concepts and we pair them with additional challenges, such as changes in the instructional environment, social distancing measures, and even some of the more traditional obstacles that we know educators face, it's really easy to conclude how overwhelming it is for educators to find a starting point and to begin to develop a plan to help in tackling each of these challenges. This month, our episodes are devoted to helping educators with finding that starting place by exploring student acceleration. There are a couple of different resources that I want to draw listeners' attention to that helped us develop our talking points for today. And the first one is a resource called Addressing Unfinished Learning After COVID-19 School Closures. And this resource was developed by the Council of the Great City Schools. And then the second resource is the Accelerate West Virginia Guide that was developed by the West Virginia Campaign for Grade Level Reading, which is a partnership between the West Virginia Department of Education and the June Harless Center at Marshall University. And both of these resources are going to be linked in our show notes. Becky, I'm really excited about this topic because I think it is so important to discuss and think about acceleration, not just in response to the pandemic, but also in response to any learning gaps that our students may have. We know that students come into the classrooms every year with learning gaps, and they're at a variety of levels, and many of them could be behind by a grade level or two. And I think that is what makes focusing on this so vital all the time, and not just during a pandemic like we have right now. I couldn't agree more. And You know, before we get too deep in the weeds, I just wanted to uh, go back and talk about what acceleration means in this context, because I know terms like this take on a life of their own. They mean different things to different people and even um, different things in a variety of different environments and settings. So when we are talking about it today, we, we really mean the process of intentionally using grade level texts, materials and tasks with all students and using scaffolds and support to give all of those students access to that grade level content. Rather than trying to go back and reteach all of the previous grade level skills and content that may not have been mastered to help them catch up. So that includes diagnosing lost learning 
and creating a plan for filling in those potential gaps as they come up in the context of grade level learning, rather than trying to go back and reteach a whole year of curriculum or standards, which will really only widen the opportunity and achievement gaps. So I like to think of it and, and those documents that, sh that you just mentioned um, refer to it as just-in-time remediation rather than just-in-case remediation. Right. And just like I mentioned a few minutes earlier, teachers are already overwhelmed. And if they have to think about going back and reteaching and remediating all of the previous grade levels before them where there are gaps and also teach their own skills, it just compiles that overwhelming feeling even more. And I think it's really going to take our educators to think a different way and take different approaches to learning to help our students catch up. And one way we can help support this process is by making sure that our practice supports the emotional and social needs of our students. I know that we talked about the emotional and social needs of our students in episodes 15 and 16 of the podcast. These are really great for listeners who haven't checked them out. But it's also important to just reiterate this idea because student acceleration and social and emotional responsiveness are not mutually exclusive. We know that learning doesn't happen at the expense of a student's social or emotional wellness. So as we're moving forward, I want us to keep in mind about all of the instructional practices we're going to talk about with regard to student acceleration Keep in mind that we're still addressing those social and emotional needs of our students because if our students are feeling displaced or invisible or unsafe, then it's going to be impossible for acceleration to take place. Um, when we're helping our students by accelerating their learning, it should not cause further trauma. But that's not to say that we need to heavily focus on social emotional responsiveness at the risk of forfeiting strong, rigorous grade level aligned instruction. We need to kind of find that middle of the road, that balance of both, so that our knowledge of both concepts and our understanding of both areas come through in our instruction. It's important for educators to understand that the concepts of social and emotional responsiveness and student acceleration best practices, so that they're better equipped to incorporate both of them into their current instructional practice, and there's a big connection between social emotional responsiveness and student acceleration. And that is at their core center, which is being able to understand the collective needs of your class, as well as the individual needs of your students, and then act on them accordingly. I'm really glad you said that because that is so important. Not only is it important to focus on their social emotional needs um, you know, by teaching them social skills and that sort of thing. It's also important to support them socially and emotionally by accelerating their learning, engaging them in rigorous content, and, um, you know, meeting their need for a structured, supported, engaging learning environment. Because going back to a sense of normalcy and a sense of challenge and feeling like they have a purpose to their day and some structure and support really helps with that social emotional responsiveness. So like you said, it all ties together. It's not one or the other, it's both as is typically the case in education. 
And that also ties into the idea of assessing students immediately upon their return to school. You know, it's really tempting to administer all sorts of diagnostic tests right away. But in order to create learning environments that make the students feel safe, both physically and psychologically, we really should wait a little while to start those assessments. And I know we're a little bit into the school year now, so now might be a good time to start uh, looking at those assessments and, you know, trying to figure out what we need to be focusing on with our students. But when we do that, we really need to use diagnostic and screening tools that are designed for the purpose that we're using them for. So we want to make sure that we're using diagnostic and screening tools that are designed to assess foundational skills, for example, um, to really give us the data that we need to figure out where to go back and teach those skills to our students. And we really need to be using formative assessment to identify their academic needs in real time and plan any scaffolding and support they might need. But I really also wanted to mention just really briefly the difference between comprehension and foundational skills because foundational skills really are concrete and need to be taught explicitly in an assess, teach, assess, and then reteach cycle. Um, but comprehension really depends largely on background knowledge and vocabulary. So it is most quickly improved by making sure that all students are engaged in the reading and study of grade level text and content. I'm so happy that you brought that up, the difference between foundational skills and comprehension skills, because I think there lies a lot of confusion there. And from just experience, we know that all too often unfinished learning leads to student remediation or pullout intervention. And this can be in terms of foundational skills or comprehension skills. Um, many educators will want to pull students out who are extremely low in either one of these areas and do remediation. But what happens is that this only further isolates students and it takes away their access to that rigorous grade level content because you're focusing on remediating and filling in all those gaps. Now, in foundational skills, it's really important to do and to make sure that we're filling in those gaps. But there are ways that you can use grade level content to help fill in those areas as well as comprehension and vocabulary. And with an increased number of our students this school year facing the unfinished learning from the end of last school year, it can be really tempting just to continue the cycle of remediation and reteaching from the previous grade level or the skills that were not mastered or addressed due to the school closures. But according to research, both of these practices are largely ineffective. And what happens as a result of these two practices is that students become disengaged with school and there's a greater inequity in access across grade level instruction. So in place of remediation and reteaching, what we really need to keep our focus on is rigorous grade level content. And when I say rigorous, I don't mean extra or more worksheets. What I mean is working on text that is grade level appropriate, that is rich and engaging and complex so that we can really dig into um, that text to help build vocabulary and comprehension for all of our students. So, for example, if we're talking about reading instruction and you have a student who is stumbling over unfamiliar words, or is having difficulty comprehending a text, it's critical to not retreat to a less uh, demanding or a simplified text, even though that's our instinct, 
Instead, what we need to do is make sure that we're allotting time for discussion to take place. We're providing scaffolds and support on how to discern meaning from that text and what the words mean, and also allowing opportunities for our students to express their thinking and ideas aloud, uh, either in a small group or with their peers, a partner, or in a whole group setting. And what this will do is ensure that our students continue to work with that rigorous, engaging grade level text and content. That's so important. It's also helpful to model and practice reading the text to assist students with accessing the content, particularly those students who might struggle with decoding. So um, doing a model reading, rereading together as a class for a variety of purposes to answer text-dependent questions, to have discussions, um, to cite evidence from the text for those discussions. Those are all really helpful scaffolds. An audio recording or text-to-speech technology can also assist with that. So it's really necessary to make sure that all students are able to analyze the text, learn from it, and participate in activities and discussions about that topic or text, regardless of decoding ability. So when I think about this um, concept, I always think about a student that I had several years ago who had dyslexia. And her um, writing was often illegible, and she struggled a lot with decoding. But she had a lot of intelligence and was able to analyze, you know, complex plot structures and complex topics and ideas. So for me to have not given her the support and the scaffold she needed to engage with that grade level text along with the rest of the class would really have been, I think, instructional malpractice. I would read aloud. She always knew she could come and ask me to read aloud anything that she needed on tests or quizzes or whatever. Um, she had some text-to-speech technology. Sometimes we used audio recordings. And by the time we had dug into the complex text and reread and reread and reread together so many times, she was typically able to identify at least the section of text where she was looking for evidence to answer a question. And sometimes she would have to come up and ask me to reread that section or she'd have to use her technology to reread it for her just so she could narrow down which sentence, but she usually could narrow it down to a paragraph. And with the appropriate accommodation, she was able to be proficient on the year-end summative assessment. So you really just need to think about what is equitable for your students and make sure that they have opportunities to do what they can do to excel at the things that they're able to. And don't let those decoding issues hold them back from learning grade level content. And that's another kind of example of what you are talking about when you say rigor. Um, it's not just harder without support. You know, we're not just trying to, to get the kids to figure it all out on their own. It's our job to make sure that we give them the tools they need to be successful. I that story, Christy, I think it's so powerful. You're showing how you were helping set your students up for success and given her all of those supports and scaffolds that she needed to not only be successful, but gain that confidence to feel successful. And students who often lack support with prior knowledge and vocabulary to access the text might need additional instruction that would not interrupt the flow of their current learning. This would demand that the teacher be familiar with concepts learned in previous grades and that the teacher is able to quickly assess the student's knowledge of a topic prior to engaging with that content or text 
just to see how much background knowledge and vocabulary that they already have in place um, before moving ahead. So we typically want to avoid doing a lot of front loading when engaging with a text in order to let students be able to grapple and have that positive struggle we want them to have when they encounter a text. However, sometimes it really is necessary to give our students some background knowledge and vocabulary instruction ahead of time so that they can feel that success that your student felt. That assessment could be something as simple as asking students to tell me what you know about plant life cycles. So for students who might need even more specific prior knowledge and possible language supports, um, educators can also provide additional instruction on the underlying concepts and skills that are connected to that grade level material. And this could be accomplished by using mini lessons or centers and explicit instruction and feedback with students in a one-on-one -on -one or even a small group setting. I love those ideas. And I think it's important to keep in mind that accelerating students' learning in English language arts also accelerates them in other subjects and other content areas because the competencies of speaking, listening, language use, reading, and writing are not only fundamentally intertwined in our everyday lives, but they're also the focus areas of teaching and learning across all grade levels and all um, topic areas. So another thing about ELA is that foundational skills are the foundation of literacy. So we wanna make sure we don't forget that. And that refers to print concepts, phonological awareness, phonics, word recognition, and fluency. And those skills, like we said before, are concrete. And they really need to be systematically taught and actively practiced unit after unit and year after year in a research grounded sequence. And they need to be supported with practice, analyzing, discussing and learning from complex text in order to support students comprehension. So while they're still working on their decoding skills, they need to have access to um, text that is rich and complex so that they can learn the structures of that text so that when they are able to decode on their own, they will be able to comprehend what they're reading. So one of the resources that I spoke to earlier, which was called Addressing Unfinished Learning After the COVID-19 School Closures that was developed by the Council of Great City Schools that I mentioned in the introduction, they have some great tips for teachers. And I just wanted to share a few of those with you. So when we're talking, and they're very specific to ELA instruction. First, for students who exhibit uh, momentary hesitation or uncertainty, what they recommend is using just-in-time scaffoldings, support or corrective feedback to help students overcome this uncertainty with the context of a grade level lesson. And another really great tip that they had is when it appears that students are having difficulty handling grade level materials because they're either out of practice in reading and writing, which might be the case that we're seeing with some of our students due to school closures, that it is more than can be handled in the flow of the lesson. So those difficulties are interrupting your lesson. What you can do is try shortening or chunking the grade level focus text so that it is more manageable and to plan in some either mini refresher lessons or just mini lessons to help the students get back on track. And these types of things can be previewing, reviewing, allowing opportunities for additional practice, front-loading the material, 
by selecting academic vocabulary and also looking at the linguistic structures of a text. And I know chunking really helped one of my former students um, when I was teaching fourth grade. She was one of my um, special education students. And what I found was that when we read a grade level text, she had a difficult time concentrating on it all at once. So what we would do is me and her, we would sit down together and we would go through it paragraph by paragraph and she would only get to see a paragraph at a time. And as we went through, she was annotating and taking notes and underlying the main idea, important details. And she was making her own notes about what that whole paragraph and the big ideas were. And what ended up happening is that by the end of the school year, she really started to outshine some of my regular ed kids because she was using this strategy all the time. And it really helped her a lot by just chunking the text. Wow. Um, I feel like probably the annotation that you had her doing was really powerful as well. One year when we were at the end of a cycle with our curriculum, um, and it really was out of alignment with the current standards. I had a lot of freedom to pull texts and teach the students the standards in a way that that made sense based on some of the trainings I'd had. And so I was pulling a lot of informational texts that went with our science and social studies standards. And I copied a lot of the texts for the students so that they could annotate them. And we practiced um, an annotation procedure and when we started a new grade level complex text together, the procedure was always the same. We would read it aloud together and then they would go ahead and annotate before we started digging into the text dependent questions. And I really feel like that was one of the reasons that 86% of that class was proficient on the summative assessment that year was because they had that opportunity to kind of um, digest and process that text in multiple ways. And one of them was, you know, in the beginning when they just got to interrogate the text with those annotation symbols, they, they got to ask questions, they got to respond, you know, to different things that they thought were important or that they were confused about. And then that came up in our discussions later when we were going back and rereading to analyze and answer those text-dependent questions. So that was so powerful for us. I think you're right. I think that connection there is the power of annotation. And had we not chunked up the text for her, I never would have figured that was a strategy that worked for her. From this document, another um, tip that they have for educators is that when students appear to have serious gaps in crucial skills and practices in reading and writing, that kind of make it difficult to access that grade level instruction, Educators should really plan for explicit instruction that's designed to teach some of those skills using, again, grade level complex text as the source of just-in-time learning whenever possible. So you can collect and use data to check the rate of learning that is taking place. This instruction should be standards aligned and should be carefully targeted to prepare students for tackling grade level reading and writing classwork. That's a theme you've heard throughout this whole podcast. And the last tip that they have is for students who exhibit the need for instructional attention in reading writing that's beyond the scope that a teacher can provide in that grade level context of instruction. What educators should consider is establishing a school-wide multi-tiered system of support that provides additional support beyond ELA classrooms 
um, to address these needs. And students should never be removed from core instruction to be, um, to be provided these really intense supports and scaffolds. What a multi-tiered system of support um, does is that it ensures that all students are included in core instruction. So they're getting that rich grade level content, but they're being provided an additional time to work on those skills and get those opportunities they need to intensify those targeted areas. I'm so glad you brought that up, Becky. We know that all students have been impacted by the closing of schools, but some of them, such as those with disabilities, um, with learning or attention issues, English language learners, students from economically disadvantaged homes, foster children, children who are experiencing homelessness, et cetera, those kids have been at a much larger disadvantage. The routines were ended abruptly as the pandemic teaching began at the end of last year. And I feel like educators will feel the need to pull these students out of the classrooms to provide that remedial work and that remedial instruction. But for them especially, it's imperative to ensure that they all have access and equitable access to grade level content and instructional rigor, like you talked about earlier. It's not just making it harder, it's making it richer and making sure they have the tools to be successful. Because research shows that for students with disabilities, the level of inclusion is a really strong predictor of academic growth. So the greater the level of inclusion, um, 80% or more of the day, the greater the rate of academic growth. So removing those students from core instruction to focus on remediation contributes significantly to the widening of the opportunity gap for those students. It really is an inequitable practice. So one way to make grade level content accessible for all students is to use a universal design for learning. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier because those same scaffolds that I provided for that student with dyslexia, I offered all of those to all of my students. And depending on their needs, they were able to access the scaffolds that made the most sense for them in different settings and at different times. And often if they felt like they were um, you know, making good progress and they didn't need it, they wouldn't take it. But offering it to everyone kind of destigmatized the idea that everybody needed support every once in a while. Everyone knew that they could access those supports and it also made them feel safer so it supported them socially and emotionally because they knew I wasn't going to let them fail. And they knew that I was going to give them really challenging texts and really tough work, but that they were also going to have all the tools they needed to make sure they were able to be successful at it. And I think that um, combination really enabled them all to make really wonderful progress, as was um, demonstrated by that year's summative assessment at the end of the year. So um, the universal design for learning really provides students with different ways to engage in the learning process and gives them different ways to express their learning. And it really helps eliminate barriers to success. I love how you were able to support all of your students by giving them those supports and scaffolds, because not only were you meeting them academically, but I feel like you were meeting their social and emotional needs by making the environment safe and the learning safe and knowing that it is okay 
um, to have extra help or have help that may look different from student to student or from situation to situation. So I think that's really great. And it's just so important that we make every effort possible to reach each and every one of our students by helping them overcome those barriers that you helped your students overcome. So Christy, I just want to quickly take a quick minute again to say thank you for being my co-host this month. Thank you so much for having me, Becky. I really enjoyed our conversation and I really hope that our listeners do too. Me too. And as we're ending our episode today, I just want to ask one final question. What is one tip or piece of advice that you can give our listeners about student acceleration to help them to continue to develop as those leaders of literacy? I think I would like to share something um, that's really powerful for me that I've heard from several sources. So please forgive me for not remembering the original, but it's this idea that by differentiating content, by using leveled texts, et cetera, we're really loving our students to death. We do it with the best of intentions, but using leveled content and differentiating based on ability condemns our students to a life of poverty. Reports show that we are regularly turning students out into the world unprepared to read even the levels of texts that would be required to be a functionally literate adult. So there are students all over the country graduating from high school who can't even read the manual for the dishwasher, for example, or a contract to buy a car. So they're lacking basic literacy skills. So the idea that I want to touch on is that instead of smoothing the road for them in school, we really need to be teaching them how to navigate the bumps. We need to shift our mindset from using below level material to make them feel more successful and to remediate learning loss to using grade level content and text with lots of scaffolding and support. And I know that we've said that over and over, but that's so important. And that just-in-time remediation of any prior knowledge, vocabulary, or skills they might need in order to successfully engage with that grade-level content and texts. I'll leave you with another tidbit that a colleague is fond of saying, which is that leveled texts leads to leveled lives. For links to all the resources discussed in this episode and for additional information, please visit our website at wvde.us forward slash leaders of literacy. Click on podcast and then click on the show notes for episode 23. Want to learn more about being a leader of literacy? Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single installment. In the next episode, Christy Schwartz and I are joined by Silas Kulkarni, and we're going to be continuing our conversation on student acceleration. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening.